want to take a moment to introduce what we're doing here. Many of you all know Andrew. Many of you know that Andrew is our Grace Students Director. It's kind of interesting how the Lord just aligned today. First, post Roe vs. Wade uh, Sunday, we get to do a baptism, but we also get to show you our commitment to being a pro-family church by showing you just how much work and labor one of our own has put into studying God's Word, to learning how to open God's Word, to teach God's Word. Parents, I, I think you're going to leave this sermon encouraged knowing that your youth are in good hands, that as you can learn the Bible, so can your youth. And that our youth group and the team around Andrew here is just a wonderful, excellent team. So would you please join me in showing a, just a good round of support for the Lord and what he's going to do through Andrew by welcoming Andrew here to preach for us this morning. Thank you. You set the bar pretty high there, PJ. You know, that's, that's uh, something to live up to. <laughs> but God is good and... Um, it is my privilege to be before you and to see some familiar faces visiting this morning. And um, we're going to open up to Philippians 3, verses 12 through 21. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, open it up to Philippians 3. And just a little context before we dive in, because it's kind of mid-thought into what Paul is saying here. Paul is sitting in a prison for sharing Christ. He's arrested, and he's writing to one of his church plants that he started, the church in Philippi. And Paul is saying... To uh, people, Jews that are saying that in order to follow Christ, in order to believe, in order to have salvation, you need to continue to follow the law. You need to, you, you need to be circumcised. And he's saying, don't listen to that. If anyone has a reason to boast in their own righteousness like these guys are doing, it's me. You know, I've done the, the best of everything. And so he's, he's entering that in. And so we pick up at uh, verse 12, Philippians 3, verse 12 through 21. Okay, he goes, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. What Paul's saying that he hasn't already obtained is the resurrection from the dead. He has not died. He's not on the other side of glory. He's not perfected yet. He's not already obtained this. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is God's Word. We're going to look at three things today, all right? We're going to look at why we need to press on. Why, why do we need to press on in this life as Christians, as believers? What, why do we do this? Then we're going to look at what, what the goal of pressing on is. And then we're going to look at how to press on, which Paul gives a, a few examples of how to do that. 
So I want you to uh, sit for a second. You know, we, we're all pressing on to something in this life. And rather than running down a list of all the things people press on towards, I want you to close your eyes for a sec and think of this last week. And if somebody was observing your life like on a TV show and you were the main character, what would they say that you are pressing on towards? Close your eyes and, and think for a sec. I'm going to let you come up with it. You got something? All right. So when I, when I was doing this, I was thinking of what I press on towards, and I was convicted because a lot of my time is spent pressing on toward my own comfort. I'm pressing on to getting to the end of the day, to sitting in front of the TV, to sitting on my phone, to putting the kids to bed. I'm pressing on towards that. A lot of us are pressing on towards comfort, to sleep. If you're a mom, you're pressing on towards that alone time, getting those kids down for a nap. All right, some of us are pressing on towards vacations. It's summer right now. We used to have a summer vacation every year to Traverse City. It's the best place in the whole, the whole world. Um, we used to press on towards that vacation. We wanted to get to that vacation so we could relax, get on the boat and relax for a little while. Some of us are pressing on towards the next house. You got a house now or maybe you're renting or something like that and you're looking forward to getting that next house. You're looking forward to getting to that next car. Maybe it's changed from a pickup truck to a Tesla or a Prius, uh, but you're pressing on towards it. Or a promotion, maybe you're working your way up the ladder, or maybe just wealth in general and the freedom that provides. You know, sometimes it's, it's virtuous and noble, like pressing on towards having a good family. You want to make sure that your kids are in line, they're involved in every sport. You want to make sure that they're getting good grades, that they're doing good things. Students, high schoolers, my students out there in the audience, <laughs> you are the congregation, I should say, right? You're pressing on towards maybe fitting in, towards love. Maybe you're concerned about having a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I remember being like 16, 17 years old, and I was this chunky, kind of weird kid, and I didn't think I'd end up with anybody, right? But you're pressing on towards that. You're trying to find love, or maybe just having the respect of having it all together. So we're pressing on towards those things. And, it, and are those things inherently bad? No, a lot of those things are good, right? There's nothing wrong with having good families. There's nothing wrong with having financial independence, with vacations, with finding a spouse. But um, sometimes our priorities are off. And sometimes our, our perspectives are, are off. We want to teach our good kids good value. This, this week, Jack, we'd whacked the lawn for the first time. He earned $5. That was really great. Right? We want to teach them that. There's value in hard work. We're reading the Proverbs right now. We know that slothfulness is not a good thing. It leads to, to bad things. It leads to sin. It leads to, to financial destruction as well. And it feels good to, to work hard and to achieve. What's often wrong is, is the place that those things take in our life. And uh, Paul worked hard before and after he was saved, before and after he met Jesus. Paul worked hard uh, as a student. If you look at the first part of uh, chapter 3, he talks about he was a Pharisee among Pharisees, right? He got straight A's in school. He worked hard for what he had. He moved up the ladder. He had influence. Um, and he did good things. And, and we would want to do those good things ourselves. We want to get degrees. We want to move up. Um, 
But he was an upstanding citizen in every way, and that hard work ethic didn't go away after he was saved either. Actually, he probably worked even harder after he was saved. But this time it was planting churches, it was, it was being on the road, it was writing letters and, and working bivocationally. But something happened after he met Christ. And this is the most important thing that could happen to any of us. His perspectives and his priorities changed. He had the most important realization that anybody could have. He realized that being at the top or trying to earn his own righteousness, trying to do things his own way, to get where he wanted to be was worth nothing, that it was actually garbage, he says, compared to knowing Christ and knowing who he is. And there's a reason that we push on sometimes and we get there, and then we don't find any satisfaction in that thing. It's, it's indicative of our spiritual state because we can never do enough. We can never earn enough to be right before God. We feel that. There's still something missing. Even Jim Carrey, during a commencement speech, says, I think everybody can, should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. So if a celebrity, if a, if a movie star can realize this, we as Christians should know this better than anybody else. We should realize how, how nothing the world is compared to knowing Christ. Because we're never going to find safety and security the way that we need it. We're never going to fit in fully or get the respect that we want. We're never going to find that enoughness in ourselves. So we, why do we press on? Right? If we're not going to press on towards those things, if we're not going to even press on towards righteousness or trying to earn our salvation, why do we press on? Let's start with verse 12. He says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I find these verses extremely comforting because I'm not good at assembling things. I'm not good at, at putting Ikea furniture together. I'm not good at even putting Legos together. Now as a dad, I'm trying to read these Lego manuals and I'm trying to put things together. I'm just not, I'm just not talented at that. Um, and, you know, it gets even worse. Have you ever had it where Dave Kramer can, can relate to this because he worked with me for a little while. He, he saw how bad I was at assembling scaffolding as they're waiting on me to try to get things together and they're trying to get on the scaffold. But you ever have it, and I'm not saying Dave does this, but you ever have it where somebody breathes down your neck while you're trying to get something together? You know, they kind of, they're doing, and you can feel like the weight of the world is on you while this is happening. It messes you up even more, right? It's, it's, it's like somebody screaming to try harder as you're already trying your hardest. You fumble, you fail, right? In, in our lives, we think that we need to assemble our lives. We think we need to put our lives together. And what does that do? If it's all on us, we fumble, we fail. We go, come on, get this together. We see God as that. We see God as that, that guy that's sitting there breathing over you, trying to get you to do your, your job, right? And that is not who God is. If our lives are Christ, that means that, that he's got it. He's got the blueprints. He's got the plans. He's going to make sure that the job is done. I was thinking of the best experience that I ever had assembling something. Lauren and I, when we got married, we bought a grill. And um, she knew that I hate assembling things. But what she did was she sat there and this is not a manly thing to admit. You know, if I was a real man, I'd be able to do this. But she sat there and go, okay, now just take this piece and put this together. And I would screw the wrong thing. And then I'd go, ah, come on. She'd go, okay, it's all right. We're going to get through this. We're going to get the job done. 
right? That is what God is doing with us. As we pray, as we read scripture, he is pointing us in the direction. He's got the plans for our life. And the number one reason that we have anxiety is because we don't trust that a lot of times. We don't trust that God is going to help us. We don't trust that he's got the plan and purpose. We feel like we need to put things together. We feel like if we don't get this together, if we don't stop this or we don't do this, man, we're going to be in trouble. But God is sitting there like a good father, just waiting for us to come to him, waiting for us to to realize that his life, that he has our life, that Christ Jesus has made us his own, that we don't make us his own, he makes us his own. And that changes the way that we look at everything. I think one of my favorite verses is Romans 8.28, where it talks about all things, all things, Everything works out for the good of those that are called according to God's purpose. So if you're in him, he's working everything out for your good. And if it means that you're, in, if, if that you're in Christ, that means you have something far more valuable than anything else the world can offer because, you know, a lot of us are trying to fit in. We're trying to gain man's approval. But if we're Christ, we know that that's eternal, that man's opinion is going to come and go. But God's word lasts forever. We, we know that relationships are going to come and go, that wealth is going to come and go, that our bodies are going to fade over time. But God and relationship with him lasts forever. That can relieve anxiety. That can relieve us of what trying to earn approval from people. And if I have confidence that God chose me, even this week, I was sitting here like, oh boy, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm ready to preach. It's been a little while and, and I, don't, I don't feel qualified right? And God reminded me of this verse. I've made you my own. There's a reason that you're at where you're at. In each of our lives, God's asking you to step into other people's lives. He's asking you to, to, to walk with people. He's asking you to do things, but he's doing it in a way that a father does. He wants you to see what you have in him and that you can realize your potential in that. Christ has made us our own, and, and if we if we have that, we can realize, too, the most important thing is that, again, we don't have to earn our salvation. A lot of us have been in church for a while, and we've heard that. We know that there's nothing that can do to separate us from Christ's love, and that's true. If we, if we love God, if we trust in Jesus, that means he's made us our own, his own. That means he's given us the Holy Spirit. So even now, I don't want to assume there's visitors, there's people here maybe that have been going to church all their life that really don't trust Christ. But this is a gift that he gives to you freely. You don't have to earn it. Your life doesn't have to be all on you. You don't have to put it all together. You don't have to worry about that. Reach out to Jesus. Accept him. Let the Holy Spirit move in your heart, and you'll see that the work is finished already. And this is good news. So if we're not pushing toward earning our salvation, what are we pushing on to? We see the why. Christ Jesus has made us his own. What are we pushing on to? Let's look at Uh, Verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So what is the upward call? What is the prize of the upward call of God? I was talking to Pastor John earlier this week, and I was kind of wrestling with this, going back and forth, and he goes, well, you know, we, we all have a 1.0. We have a, a Benjamin 1.0. We have a, an Oscar 1.0. We have these 1.0 versions of ourselves when we're born. And like Pastor John said this morning, our first words are mine, 
We're self-centered. We're self-focused. We just only care about ourselves all the time, right? And a lot of people stay that way, and they just cleverly disguise it as they get older as virtuous in some ways if they're doing something else for, for somebody, but they're actually doing it for themselves. That's, that's the 1.0 version of ourselves, right? But over time, if you were raised in the church, maybe you have a all-at-once moment or maybe you have an overtime moment where you've learned about Christ, you learned about your sin, and you realize that you needed a Savior. The minute that happens, that means the Holy Spirit's moving in your life, and you become a 2.0, right? Version 2.0, Benjamin 2.0, right? And from there, God is calling us to reach higher. We're reaching towards that 3.0, that version 3.0, where, where Paul talks about obtaining the resurrection from the dead, but being transformed. That's the 3.0, looking like Jesus looks. And some of us move up and down on that scale. Sometimes we're at 2.4, sometimes we're at 2.6, sometimes we drop down to 2.0 again, right? We know that we have a Savior. Sometimes we even question that, but, but God's got us, right? I think of it this way, Michael Jordan, right? Michael Jordan played basketball. He's playing in high school, right? Really good at it. And uh, he practices morning and night. And in college, he starts to pick up a little more. He starts to learn how other people are playing basketball. And he makes it into the NBA, right? Now imagine that instead of pushing on, pressing on to six NBA championships, he just goes up, got a contract, I'm set, I'm good. I can float on this couple million dollars for the next 20 years. Actually, I probably never need to work again. But he didn't do that. He pressed on, right? And a lot of us in church kind of do that, right? We, we acknowledge that we need a Savior, but then we don't press on anymore. We don't, we don't strive. We don't work towards anything. We, we hear this theology of once Christ is yours, that, that you're, you're saved, you're good, and, and we just flush out the rest of moving on and pushing on. But God has good works for you to do. He has the upward call for you to take hold of, and there's good reason for that. He doesn't just want to beat you into submission so that you do what he says. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. The upward call is, is a prize. Why is it a prize? All right, the more you give up your life and take on Christ's life, the more fruit you see in your life. The more people will be attracted to Christ through your life. It's through the upward calling that you learn that following Christ is better than anything this world has to offer. He's given you eternal life, which is the most valuable thing. And the older you get, you realize how valuable that actually is. If you're in your teens and 20s and even in your 30s, even for me, it's hard to look at eternal life and go, yes, you know, that's awesome. Sometimes, sometimes I recognize how important that is, but sometimes I'm just focused on the here and now, right? But that is the most important thing because we're living in this, and the rest of this room is eternity. And so that is the most important thing that Christ has purchased with his blood and has already done the work for us. But what else? He's given us a purpose. He gives us a finish line. Even this whole analogy, Paul, Paul talks about running a race. Imagine that a bunch of runners are put into a stadium and there's a bunch of roads, there's a bunch of avenues that the person can take and, and there's no finish line, right? What would happen? They'd start running off and, and somebody would go, oh, come over here, come over here. And they'd get there and they'd go, oh, this isn't it. And then they run to the next thing and they go, this is not it. Jesus and his finished work gives us a line. It gives us a goal. It shows us where we're going. And while the rest of the world 
is just moving about, looking and trying to find their place, trying to find where they're going. Jesus is standing there going, come to me. And when we come to him, we strive, we, we come to him, it gives us direction, it gives us purpose. It gives us a finish line. It gives us uh, a reason to get up in the morning. And you see that your life is so much bigger than the selfish desires that you have. You realize that you get to take part in God's mission. And as you do that, you experience God's goodness. You know, sometimes we look at obedience as an obligation. Sometimes we look at prayer as an obligation. But obedience, the more you obey, the more you see God's goodness a lot of times. You know, a couple years ago, I was just doing whatever I wanted to do, right? I was just making choices on an impulse. And what that winds up in is anxiety, depression, worst case, suicidal thoughts. You just keep on doing what you want and realize how fruitless it is and you get more, more lost and more depressed. But God has called you to obey and the more you obey, the more you see God come through on his promises. The more you pray and the more that you worship, you experience the presence of God in a deep and profound way. And the more you experience that, the more you see God's forgiveness in your life. You see the weight of your sin and what's been forgiven of you. And it, and it causes you to forgive others. It causes you to let go of the bitterness and the resentments. When you go through trials and tribulations, you experience supernatural peace. And when you give up your time, when you give up your resources, you see provision in a, in a whole new way. You know, I, I work at Bible League. I get to hear a lot of testimonies of people that have nothing, that go fishing and whatever they catch that day, if they catch anything, they eat. And if not, they don't have anything. And sometimes those people are who shine the brightest. Sometimes those people are who see God move the most in their lives because they see God show up day after day. Even if they stay hungry, they still experience the presence of God. And that's what God is calling us to, to give up this world. And, and this isn't easy. You know, the, the way of, the upward call of, of God in Christ Jesus is the way of the cross. Sometimes it feels like crucifixion. The way, of, the way of the cross is hard. It looks like being rejected by this world sometimes. It looks like choosing forgiveness even when the worst things have been done to you. It looks like having mercy for those that, that have no mercy. Or maybe just even telling the truth in a, in a world of people that just lie and want it that way, right? But God is calling us to so much deeper. And through that suffering... Through those choices, through, those, through that upward call, we see Christ more clearly. We see what he's done for us. We see what he's done to save our soul. We see the suffering that he's gone through. And it starts to become our own. We start to see his life exchanged for our life. You start to see the mercy of God closer and you grow closer to him. You know him more. And sometimes the upward call is just enduring. You know, Paul says in verse 8, before we didn't read this, but I think it's an important verse in this chapter. He says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You know, Paul speaks from experience here, right? This is a guy that had influence, that had power, that had the whole world in front of him. And he decided to give that up, and he's in a prison. He's lost everything everything. And he says that knowing Christ is better than all that other stuff. 
And sometimes it's just enduring through those times. Sometimes you feel like you're just being towed by a tow rope. You just feel like God's taking you through this and you're suffering lost. And, and some, some more mature believers, some people that have lost everything, know this better than anybody else. Ask, ask a mature believer in the congregation if they've seen the faithfulness of God, if they continue to come to church, they continue to, to speak about God's goodness, even though they've lost siblings, even though they've lost children, even though they've lost parents, even though they've lost husbands and wives. And they can tell you that they've seen the goodness of God. How is that possible? It must be that God really is that good. And they, they're still pushed towards the upward call of God. And that doesn't mean we don't question God. You know, I had a toothache this last week, and I'm going, God... Why? Why are you doing this to me? You know? But God is there. On the other side of that, you can speak of the faithfulness of God because he never fails. He's never changing. This is what distinguishes the mature from the immature as well. Let's look at verse 15. He says, Let those who are mature think this way. If you've been, if you've been on that upward call for a while, sometimes, sometimes, the world just looks more and more stupid. <laughs> Sometimes you just see people chasing after all these things and you go, why are, why are they doing that? You see younger people and it's just like, they're chasing after this, they're chasing after this, and you, you've grown in discernment. You've grown to see what, what, the, what the difference between right and wrong is, and it's easy to judge. And so Paul says, you know, let, let those who are mature think this way. But one word of caution to that, too, is sometimes mature believers in seeing that, it's easy to force our opinions on others. It's easy to, to just try to ram people into our belief systems, right? But Paul's not saying that there. He actually says, let those who are mature believe this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. You can see a level of maturity in even saying that statement. I'm not going to go on a, on a rant for three paragraphs, Paul says, about how, why you should believe this way. He's saying, God will reveal it to you. God will work in that person's life. So even mature believers, sometimes we see it more clearly. Sometimes, sometimes you see it more clearly. But to trust in God and to just continue to hold on to what you've already attained is sometimes what God wants you to do is just let it be. That's not saying that God doesn't want you to use you in people's lives. It's just saying to trust God. Right? It's good to grow in discernment, but it's good to realize that God is working in other people's lives. So now look at, let's look at how. All right? We got the, the why, because Christ Jesus has made, it, made us his own. We got the what, which is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, the prize of that. How do we do this? Let's look at verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. You know, one of my favorite movies is Uncle, or not Uncle, it's Napoleon Dynamite. You ever see Napoleon Dynamite? It's like one of my favorites. All right, and there's a character named Uncle Rico. All right, and this guy is stuck in the late 70s. He's got the bowl cut, he's got the stash, He's always wearing these clothes from the 70s. He's carrying around a football, and he's stuck. He's stuck in high school. He's stuck at the state championship, right? He, they didn't, his high school team didn't win state, but if they would have just put him in, if the coach would have just done this differently, if this would have just happened differently, he would have won state. It would have changed his life. He would have been a superstar, 
right? But because things didn't happen the way that he wanted them to happen, he's stuck in the past. He can't move on. He can't push forward. And a lot of us feel that same way. A lot of us have regret in our life. A lot of us have a sin in our life or some shame in our life that keeps us from moving forward. Maybe we even feel like I straight up missed the call of God in my life. How's God going to do anything with me? But what does Paul say? Even before he says, I strain on to the goal, I forget what's in the past. I push on to what's ahead. And sometimes it's a sin. Sometimes it's a, it's a thing that we feel disqualifies us. But we can also rest on our laurels. We can also feel like we've already done enough. We already showed up to a serve event a couple weeks ago. We're good. You know, I went to church. I went to church every Sunday. I'm good. And we don't see it as a journeying with Christ. We don't see it as a walk with Christ. And what God is calling us to is the upward call of walking with him, of moving with him, of, of staying in step with his spirit. Right? And, and Paul says something that is kind of arrogant on first reading. Right? Sometimes Paul sounds a little arrogant. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. If I were to say, hey guys, look at me, imitate me, you'd think like, what's this guy, who's this guy think he is, right? I wouldn't say that, but there's good reason why Paul says that. Think of, think of it, I was in sales for a little while, I actually worked with Dino over here, um, and Ryan, but when, when somebody would come in, we'd hire a new person, somebody that's 19, 20 years old, and I had some experience in sales, and so rather than just giving somebody a manual and a script that says, hey, do this, do this, and just follow that, I said, come out with me on a sales call. Listen to how I respond to this person. Listen to how I handle this customer service experience. Imitate me. Do what I do. I know I'm not perfect. Paul knew that he wasn't perfect, but he still says imitate me. And this is important because we have scripture, which is the, the most important thing we have in our life, but we need to be around believers that are walking this thing out. And we've talked about community groups and the importance of it. It's not just so that we can get into a community group and say that we have 20 community groups going on. It's because we need each other. We need to, to imitate others, to, to walk with people that we respect, right? And not just that, we need to be imitatable. We need to, to not just rely on Pastor John and Pastor Brad, right? We, we look at church as a Sunday service a lot of times and we go... You know, Pastor John and Pastor Brad, they, they have the answers. We should just go to them. But we need to be imitatable in our own life. We need to walk this thing out. We, we, we're not just playing church. We are the church. And if new people come into the church, say a new believer comes in, and they look at the culture, what are they going to see? Are they going to see people striving after the call? Are they going to see people striving toward the upward call of Christ? Or are they going to go, okay, first thing I need to do, get a two-story house in St. John, make sure I got a nice family, make sure I do this, make sure I do that. We need to make sure that our priorities are right because we're setting the culture here. It's not on Pastor John and on Pastor Brad. They can only do so much. We are the church. We are called to walk like Jesus walked. And that's a high calling. We need to prioritize this. And let's look, at, let's look at this. Be different from the enemies of the cross. Verses 18 and 19. For many of, of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, 
and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. So what does that look like? Their God is their belly. What's that mean? It means that people's minds are set on earthly things, on, on fleshly things, that they just go according to their impulses. They never have any self-control. They, they eat whatever they want to eat, but beyond that, they look at whatever they want to look at. They do whatever they want to do without thinking. They sleep with whoever they want to sleep with. Right? We were in small group this, this last week, and somebody brought up that, that belly might even mean more than those impulses. It may mean that a person is controlled by their emotions, that they're just going from this to that, from this to that, without any basis of truth or out any foundation of truth. They do whatever they want, and they not only do that, look at what the verse says, they glory in their shame. You know, the most obvious example of this is Pride Month, Right? I mean, we don't want to beat a dead horse, but how much more obvious can you get of something that is an opposition with the cross of Christ that you take something from the Bible and you call it Pride Month and hang flags all over the place? That's crazy, but we do that as Christians, too, in subtle ways. You know, the younger you are, I feel like the, more ob the harder this is, actually. Because you get drunk or something like that, and you're like, oh man, I got so drunk last night, it was so great. You know, that's, that's glorying and shame. Or, oh man, I got with this girl, I did this, blah, blah, blah. It, it gets hard when you're in high school because in high school, you're not praising the, the godliest person. You're not going, oh boy, does that, does that senior really follow after Christ? You're looking at the coolest kid. And what, what is the coolest kids doing? They're doing these things that are, that are of the world, Right? It's hard to walk this out. Again, it's, it can be like crucifixion, but God is calling you to so much, something so much deeper, to set a foundation for your life that is reliant on God, that is not rooted in, in approval of people. What else does this say? Their minds are set on earthly things. Materialism, hedonism, what our culture, the culture that we live in, and one that we're not immune from, is consumerism, Right? When's the next meal? When's the next time I can go shopping? I find myself recently just hanging out on Amazon, just looking at st stupid things like sunglasses and things that I don't need, these little $10, $15 purchases over and over and over again. When's the next car? What's the next house? If this is all there is, let's live it up. And that is really, that is really how I lived for a while because I, I don't understand people that, that don't question their faith, that don't that don't try to figure out what they believe. Because I was, I was thinking like, boy, if this, if this whole Christianity thing is true, if Jesus really did die on the cross, then I'm going to live for him because that's the truth. I want to live after that. But if he didn't, I'm going to find that out and I'm going to live the way I want to live, right? And obviously God worked in my life in a way that, that pulled me back from that because I start doing what I want and my life just turns into a mess, right? But God is, God is there, he has done what he said. The work is complete. He has made us his own. And he's working in us. And, and ultimately, it says, even before these things, that their fate is destruction. Their fate is destruction. That scares me. Because a lot of times, my mind is set on earthly things. I wonder sometimes, is my fate destruction? Good news is that the upward call of Christ is not about never making a mistake. We strive for looking like Christ, 
We strive for holiness, but we realize that perfection is not what takes us to heaven. Paul says it twice. And if Paul says it, we can trust it because this dude was hardcore, right? Verses 12 and 13, I'm not perfect. I'm not already perfect. I don't consider myself perfect. And we won't be perfect on this side of life. Paul says throughout his letters that his righteousness is, is nothing. So it's not about never making a mistake. It's not about perfectly always having your mindset on Christ. It's about working with God. It's about walking hand in hand with God. It's about trusting in God. It's about letting God change you and trusting in what he's done on the cross. God, the loving father who is there, Christ, the brother that comes to you. When you see that finish line, you're just like, oh, I don't want to do it anymore. Christ comes in and helps you along. He puts you on his shoulders. He's compassionate. He understands what it's like to suffer. He understands what it's like to give mercy, to give grace, even to the people that, as he's hanging on the cross, being spit on after doing absolutely nothing wrong, he says, forgive them. That's what we have in Christ. Even when we don't deserve it. So press on. Press on to who you really are. Verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Let's remember that this is who we are. Right? We're not middle class, northwest Indiana living, mostly Dutch people. <laughs> we may be those things. We're not Europeans. We're not Hispanics. We're not any of those. We're citizens of heaven. We're sons and daughters of the Most High King. And we serve a king that's going to transform us into his likeness. And when he comes, there'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sadness. There'll be no more loneliness. No more anxiety. No more depression. No more suffering. So press on. Keep pushing toward the goal. And let's put this king first in our life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. God, you call us to walk with you. You call us to push on. You call us to strain toward the goal. God, not just because that's what you want us to do. It is, but God, because it's for our own good too. Father, we ask that we would have this mind, God, that we wouldn't just walk out of here and just wait until next Sunday and then hear another message and just be consumers. God, we want to be doers. We want to look like you. We want what you've called us to be. Father, we ask that we would set our minds and our hearts on you this week. Father, that whatever you're calling us to step into, that we would step into it confidently, knowing that you are with us, that you love us, that you care for us, that you have paid the price for our sin. And all we have to do is receive that. All we have to do is trust you and have faith that you will carry us through. Father, I thank you for your word, God, and we just ask that you would bless us as we go off from here in Jesus' name. Amen.